0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to CoastalOaksChurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right. Thank you for braving the fog. Hopefully the fog is lifted from our hearts this morning after the fireworks. And I keep getting this alert on my phone saying the air you are breathing is very unhealthy. And I'm like, is that because of the fog or is it because of the firework, gun smoke, powder, whatever it is in the air? Because hey. Sometimes gunpowder therapy is good, uh, but maybe too much of it's bad. So we are having kids' church, it looks like. So if you uh, have some kiddos here this morning, you'd like to make your way out to the back. Miss Daylene is waiting for you. The rest of you, buckle up. Here we go. If you have your Bible open, to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19. We're going to be in 19 through 25 and a couple of other places along the way. What is... Our hope in life and death, it is Christ alone. The only confidence we have that our souls belong to him, the one who holds our days within his hands, the one um, in whose hands his commands will never fall apart, the one who will keep us until the end, it is Christ alone, the love of Christ in which we stand today and we look forward to the rest of this year. For in Christ our hope springs eternal. And today we confess Christ our hope in life and death. It is my prayer that as we look at this passage this morning and these six verses that we would remember that in Christ we have a confidence to approach God through the work of Jesus. And this is good news and truth to calm the troubled soul. And because of this confidence, we also are called to encourage one another to grow in the assurance that we have as we anticipate his return. So if you would stand with me now that you're all comfy, I'll read starting in verse 19 through verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, let's pray together, Fathers, as we come before you this morning, we humbly approach with confidence in Christ Jesus to ask you to speak to us through your word. Lord, I am confident that this that I have read this morning and that we have read is, in fact, your word passed down through the ages, inspired by the Holy Spirit, penned by men, truth without error. Today, Lord, our Bibles are open before us, and your truth is the best remedy for what ails our minds, what aches our hearts, and what correction and direction that we need for our steps. Father, we come in Christ alone who is our hope that springs eternal, not because of the passing of a calendar year, Lord, but because Christ is Lord, we look to you. Speak to us now, Father, it is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So the author of Hebrews, uh, it's a little bit odd to jump right in the middle of um, a text like this or a chapter, uh, but it is a, a great uh, passage, and we could, of course, extend it. But the author of Hebrews has uh, we don't know exactly who he is. We have some good ideas, but what he's doing at this point in his letter, is that he's turning from instruction to exhortation, telling us what we can do in light of what uh, he has written thus far. So he's about to give us the application of those first 10 chapters, which we'll now go back through one by one for the no, just kidding. <laughs> but he's about to give us the application of those first 10 chapters of what he's written to our lives, which means we commit ourselves to following Jesus. The first 10 chapters of Hebrews essentially can be summed up as an explanation of the truth that Jesus Christ, his person and his work, is superior in every way. We touched on that briefly back in our Advent series in the Born Supremacy. We preached out of, preached out of Hebrews uh, chapter 1 and, and, uh, and uh, Colossians chapter 1 that day. But what he's getting at is how, how does that truth that Christ is superior in every way affect and change our lives in the church? This passage has great importance for us as Coastal Oaks Church moving forward throughout the rest of this year and even beyond that until Christ returns. And if he were to come back this year, praise God. We're okay with that. We're okay if he wants to come back today, any minute. We're ready. Amen. Amen. Let's look at the first two verses this morning, and we'll just see quickly that the foundation of our confidence is based in Christ. Look again at verses 19, 20, and 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God comma stop there for a moment therefore we always want to ask the question Do you know that question I know you do what's it there for you need to ask that time anytime you read that in scripture what's it there for well he's turning the corner again into application it means he's about to draw that conclusion for us based on what has been previously stated and jumping in the middle of this like that he's assuming and I am assuming that you have a proper understanding of who Christ Jesus is if you don't, then go back and read the first 10 chapters and you'll have that proper understanding. But we have a proper understanding of Christ, therefore, we can have a proper confidence to approach God in prayer and to draw near to Him. A proper confidence for in Christ, He has told us that we have both access to God and an advocate with God. Those are tremendous implications. And these are tremendous blessings that follow this truth in nineteen, twenty, and 21, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We can glance over those quickly if we're reading and not pay too much attention to it, but we need to slow down and let this digest for a moment. Let's think of that word confidence. There's times where I lack confidence. I don't feel real confident at all in some, some moments of my life when I, like, I stand on the tee box and I've got three other men watching me ready to tee off. I'm not real confident of where that ball's going. Guys, you probably shouldn't stand on the side. Here, you should probably be behind me. I've never had a golf ball go backwards, but I've had some go 90 degrees sideways, okay? I'm just, you know, confidence. Assurance. Willing to undertake activities that involve risk or danger. You want to draw near to God? Go back and read some moments where there have been men in scripture that have drawn near to God, like Isaiah in that vision. He's afraid. He is scared because he realized he's a man of unclean lips and he's in the presence of a holy God. God takes care of that sin for him, but you get the picture. What was the risk? Well, the risk there also, in relation to this particular passage, he's already talked about in chapter 10 and other places about the most holy place the inward most part of the tabernacle or the temple. That's the context, but what he's looking at now is the assurance or the permission that we have in Christ, that authority that is given through Christ for us now to draw near to God. But let's think of the imagery that he's giving us, the holy place, so that sanctuary. The most holy place in the tabernacle or temple. No one could go into that space but the high priest, and at that, once a year. And if he had not properly cleansed himself and gone through his procedures to go into that place, boom, he's dead. And if you decided, oh, I don't need the high priest, I'll go in there myself, boom, you're dead. It was the most holy place and you did not enter it or take it lightly. In fact, they would tie a rope around the dude in case he didn't get it right so they could pull him out. For a few heart-pounding moments, the high priest would enter into that holy of holies to make atonement for Israel once a year. Anyone else other than the high priest tried to enter. Death was sure to follow. But now we have confidence. Confidence to go and draw near before God because we have permanent access through the blood of Christ. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, it says, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Now, that's when Christ's crucified body. That's when he gave up his life. That's when he had died. That curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top, so that no man could have done that. It was torn from top to bottom as God did it. Signifying a moment and a change of how we could approach God. No longer was it a small space for one man once a year, but now the presence of God was open to all who would call on the name of Jesus Christ through his blood. The way was now open into the presence of God. Friend, that is not arrogance, it's confidence. It's confidence for us today that the way is open through Christ. There's no other way. There's no seance There's no lighting of candles or incense or special procedures that we go through or drawing circles around you in prayer circles. You don't need that stuff. It's the blood of Christ, friend. It's the blood of Christ. You draw near to the the heart of God through the blood of Christ. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, the author of Hebrew wrote in chapter four, that we may receive mercy and find grace in time in a time of need. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11 and following, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Now, when we think of confidence, let's not think of the confidence as the act of entering, but confidence in the means of Access. I'm not going in with my chest puffed out because of now I can go in. I can go in. I don't need the preacher. I don't need someone else. I'm going with my heart set on the blood of Christ, the means of access. He is our confidence. A sacrificial death is stated back in chapter 9. If you go back one chapter and look at verses 12 and 14. Again, this is building up to what he's now applying to us, but in verse, uh, let's read verse 11 and read into it. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Look at verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Reminds me of that old hymn There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. For in Christ Jesus is your access to God. So as we have prayer in our future, and starting next Sunday, 40 days of prayer, looking beyond starting our prayer service, we understand we can go into this with confidence to draw near to God because we have access through the blood of Christ. He is our access to God. Verse 20, he says, access. Look, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. That is access to God, meaning it is now open. What was once closed or not even there is now open. It's new in that it didn't exist until Christ opened it up. That he opened it up first. And he's the only one that could have opened it up. It's also, notice, a living way, which means that is life-giving. In Hebrews, God's word is living. Christ Jesus is able to save those who draw near to him since He is always since He always lives to make intercession for them. We can draw near to God since He is always providing through Christ the living way, and He Himself is the living God, the living God, the the, the Christ who lives to make intercession. The word of God which is living, you see there's a a kind of a secondary theme for the book of Hebrews for us. This living way that is before us, this living prayer life, this living for Christ and following him. It's, It's a theme there that we need to understand that as we are living, we have a Christ who is living, a God who is living, and he has provided a living way for us to walk and live. And friends, as a church, we have an unwavering confidence in Christ. That in Christ we have access to the throne of grace, the very presence of God. The second blessing that we found there is that Jesus Christ is also our advocate before God. We have an access to God and now we also have an advocate before God. Verse 21, he says there, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we enter with confidence because Christ is our priestly advocate. His blood shed once and for all, which if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, the author of Hebrews makes that point. Once and for all, the sacrifice of Christ. No more sacrifices shall be offered. No more high priest entering into the the, the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. No more. Once and for all, our sins have been atoned for by the blood of Christ upon the cross. The sources that we have of confidence found in Christ access and our advocate. The curtain is open and the priest our advocate is working the new and living way is opened and we enter through christ alone that's of great importance as we look forward to this new year based on christ as our hope and life and death based on his work the author of hebrews now gives us three imperatives that ought to apply to our life there comes the application Because we have access, because we had advocacy through the greatest ever, Jesus Christ, we ought to, one, draw near to God. We must draw near to God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Friends, we got to seize the opportunity to access God, not so that we get what we want, but so that we're walking in step with the Spirit. We are called now to respond wholeheartedly because of these present blessings of Christ, access and advocate, now we go with confidence and we draw near to God. Hebrews chapter 4, that particular verse, verse 16, where we approach the throne of grace with confidence, specifically is talking about prayer. Here, it seems to be a little bit broader than just focused on prayer, as in Hebrews chapter 4. Prayer is certainly in the mind of the author. But in that old covenant, the priests were consecrated. They were sprinkled with blood also. That old covenant began, um, the, the, when it began, the people were sprinkled with blood. So this morning, we're going to sprinkle, no, we're not going to do that. But that new covenant in Christ, there's an inward sprinkling of blood, the blood of Christ that cleanses us from our sin. Now, now the, the, the priests, the Old Testament, they sprinkled the people with blood, okay? You, you understand how disgusting that would be, all right? But the imagery is, is, is strong, that the blood of Christ now sprinkles your heart. He's not talking about baptism here. He's talking about the blood of Christ cleansing you. He's using that Old Testament imagery of what happened to the Old Testament Israelites when the, new, when the Old Covenant started. and Now this is what has happened in Christ. That your heart has been sprinkled clean just as it... Looked like back then but now in reality it is thorough it is cleansed from our sin our bodies are washed it also points back to the ceremonial washing that the the high priest would have to go through uh, in order to go into the holy of holies the washing purifies us internally as well So as we draw near to God, we are sprinkled clean. We are made fresh and clean by the blood of Christ, right? The old crimson stains have been washed white as snow. The heart of the inner man, the the inner life, it's cleansed. Our hearts are right before God. Therefore, now we are ready to draw near to the Lord. That is his grace at work, that he would do that for us so that we could have a relationship with him and draw near to him. Again, Hebrews chapter 4 is focused specifically about prayer here. It's broader. Prayer, worship, I think obedience or faith, faith and obedience t- t- together. Let's take each one of those briefly for a moment. Let's think about prayer. It is our lifeline. It is the lifeblood of the church. We see that in Acts chapter 2, verses 42, a, a deep devotion to prayer. We see it with Peter. We see it with Paul. We see it with the other churches. In his book, written by Tom Rainer, Autopsy of a Deceased Church. He took, I think it was 13 in that particular book, churches that had died over a period of time, some sooner, quicker than others, but some it was a low, a slow, painful death, but eventually the attendance just began to dwindle and lives stopped being changed. But here's what he says in that book. He says, prayer and the health of the church went hand in hand. When the church is engaged in meaningful prayer, it becomes both the cause and the result of greater church health. We will be healthier followers of Jesus. We will be growing in Christ's likeness We will be stirring one another to love and good works the more we pray. And what you see in the book of Acts was not praying over again a list of names, but fervent, intense, and passionate moments of prayer. And what we also found in that study was that a failure to pray was tantamount to a failure to breathe. What would happen if you stopped breathing right now? We'd call 911. Eventually you'd fall over if we couldn't get you breathing again. That's what happens when we stop praying, church. We stop breathing. The kind of church that we want to be is a church that prays not from a heart of I should pray for, but rather a heart that believes I must have God's help for. I think that's why this passage touched my heart this week, that we would have confidence, access, and advocacy to draw near to the heart of God. We're going to pray. We're going to wait on God. We're going to wait on his presence. When it all is said and done, we'll lift our voices in unison and we'll look back and we'll say, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. It's still true today that Jesus taught his disciples to draw near to God when he taught them to pray. Prayer guides our worship. Everything else that would be included in this drawing near is informed by, by prayer. Worship is informed by prayer. My preaching had better be informed by prayer. It guides our faithful obedience to the Lord. If we're not praying, how do we know where to go and what to do for the Lord, for his glory? If we don't draw near to the Lord, we will not cross that finish line very well. We will stumble and fall. The menacing waves of culture, the false gospels and teachers that are out there, temptation, and the world in general will absolutely devour us. Let us draw near to the Lord. And prayer. Second, we must hold to our confession. Look at verse 23. As we draw near to the Lord with a true heart and full assurance of faith, we also hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 23. There was a group in the early church who were ready to walk away from the faith to escape persecution. There was a group in the early church that faith in Christ alone wasn't enough. They wanted to throw in extra requirements like circumcision. There were some later on, but still early church time, that wanted to mess with who Jesus was. He wasn't fully man, or he wasn't fully God. There's always been an attack on the true Christ and in the true gospel. But the author of Hebrews is urging them, hold on to the confession. Hold fast that confession of our hope without wavering. Don't let go. Why? Because the one who has promised eternal life, the one who has promised to return, he is faithful. Don't waver in your commitment. And faith to Christ Jesus. Friends, hold on to the confession. What evidence do we have to hold on to that confession? Well, we have to look to the past. If you go back, the author of Hebrews makes an amazing case. But then looking forward to chapter 11, the hall of faith, he backs up that claim. Hold on to the confession. Here's why. Because by faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, By faith, time and time again, he goes back. God's faithfulness to his past promises are all fulfilled now in Christ Jesus. He has fulfilled that promise. We look around us today and watch whatever you want to watch and there's hopelessness because people are basing their lives on material gain or they're basing their life on a better day, hoping something is going to happen, waiting for tomorrow, waiting for the the stock exchange to, to turn around, waiting for interest rates to fall, waiting for something. And they're just putting one foot in front of the other, making it day by day, all based on ungrounded, unfounded hope. Empty hope, hope that is not going to be real. It's not going to be realized. Now, when we think about hope, it's not the act of hoping because we all hope for something. It's the content of that hope. What is the content of that hope? The hope of the church has substance. That's where it's different. All the things that the world is hoping and those of our friends who are lost, maybe even some of you today, your hope is not in Christ and your hope lacks substance, real substance. The hope that we have that our text is referencing to goes back to Hebrews chapter 6 verses 19 and 20, which says that we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Our hope is grounded in the life, death, resurrection, ascension, intercession, and return of Jesus. Our hope currently sits at the right hand of God. And it is so important that He previously called this hope an anchor. Listen, I'm not a mariner, I'm not a sailor, but I know enough that if you leave the safety of the harbor without an anchor, you're nuts. That anchor is the last hope any sailor or captain has in the storm when all else fails. And our confession is Christ Jesus is Lord. It is Jesus who saves. We hold on to that confession. Christ our hope in life and death. That anchor holds when the waves come against us battering us from all sides. When all we have left is the anchor. The anchor holds. When we set sail head on into the storm that the world throws at us, our confession and our hope are anchored in our access and our advocate before God the Father, Jesus Christ. We maintain the confession of hope without wavering because of God's faithfulness. He does what he has promised to do. And so this is a call to perseverance it's a call to endurance. Finally, he says, we must provoke one another to love and good works. I hope that sounds familiar to you. I try to tag that line, tag that sometimes at the end of the service. Let's continue to stir one another to love and good works. We must provoke one another. It's a strong word. He says in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near." We must consider one another. That means we don't consider ourselves. But we must consider one another. It stresses the importance of fellowship, my friends. We need each other to persevere to the end. Keep on caring for one another is what he's calling us to. A father was showing his son around the church one day, and they came upon a plaque. You know, there's some churches that have plaques in the wall. We don't really have any around here. But I've been in churches that had lots of plaques up on the wall. And it was a memorial. And, and the curious young man said, Daddy, what, what's that for? And he said, Son, that's a memorial to all those who died in the service. And that little boy was stunned. For I mean, he had the big look on his eyes and said, Daddy, which service, the 9 a.m. or the 11 a.m.? Well, that would be a reason for staying away from church if you're dying in the service. But listen, we can come up with all kinds of excuses, all sorts of reasons to stay away from church. We experienced that in COVID, did we not? We were told we couldn't. I hope one of the things you learned was why you had to come back. You missed why you came in the first place. The early church had a drop-off from persecution, some arrogance, some false teaching, apostasy. But what's your excuse? What excuses have we used? We can find all sorts of reasons, most of which might just stem from laziness. But listen, we're tired. I get it. Laziness ain't gonna cut it. You can go read Proverbs, I think it's chapter 6, the Proverbs of the ant. The ant. Versus the sluggard? Come on. The Bible has everything for you. You need to hear. Staying away from the assembly of the saints is detrimental to your faith. I know we don't always treat each other right. We fall short quite often in how we are supposed to love one another and we don't always fulfill that role to the best of what Christ would hope for and call us to. Not an excuse. But we are called to stir one another to love and good works. Provoke rouse incite one another to love and good works not hate but love and good works love is the internal condition and good works there is the outward expression of that love I like what Kent Hughes had to offer in some areas considering the gathering of the church one that Christ is present in and with the gathered church when we are together Christ's presence is here we hope and we pray the presence of God is here But so is Christ. When we meet Christ in a special way with a gathered church, like when we hear one another singing together, when our voices are lifted in unison, it's a beautiful picture. When we hear the church praying together, we are in the presence of God. Yes, it is true that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but you also don't have to go home to be married. In both cases, if you do not, you will not have a very good relationship, will you? Christ is glorified, my friends, by the corporate worship of the church. When the saints are gathered together, our voices are lifted. And listen, if you're absent from the church, you're going to miss that aspect of corporate worship, togetherness. I mean, think about the corporate times where Israel was together. The walls of Jericho fell down. There was only 300 men with Gideon in his army, but God used a corporate gathering to overrun the Midianites. There's others, other times where we can look at the corporate gathering of God's people. Look at what Nehemiah did and his leadership and how the people of God came together in Jerusalem to rebuild that wall in just 50-something days. Friends, Christ is glorified by the corporate worship of the church. When we sing together, there's nothing else like it. Corporate worship provides that atmosphere where our voices are lifted together to the extent that it cannot happen when you're alone. I don't care how loud you turn up the radio. It's you and the radio. But when we're together, no matter how bad you sing, somebody's going to be singing louder, there you go, you're all right. Joyful noise. But when we hear other people singing, it strengthens and it encourages. Our... I stopped singing this morning just to listen, just for a moment. I love how Pastor Andy always tells us, you sound, you sound great this morning, church. It's encouraging to hear it. It's encouraging. Christ has also learned through corporate gatherings. I'm talking theology, doctrine, the biblical teaching. These can certainly be learned alone, but Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 18 that the the church may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. He's writing to the corporate church of Ephesus there. Finally, we act out Christ's love corporately. As Andy said this morning, when we leave this place, we we are being sent out We come in here, we're stirred up, and we're sent out into the mission field, and we share that love of Christ corporately, not in isolation, because it takes the church to go out. So what is it that we can do now? There's some positive ways to stir one another up. One, we can pray. We're going to pray, but we can certainly keep praying for one another. We're going to do that corporately. We're going to do that individually, but we're going to pray for one another. Pray for selfless love and good works for the glory of God. We can set the example. Some folks learn best by seeing someone else lead, someone else work the problem, finding the solution, and the next time they can do exactly as they've been taught. Set the example. We look to God's Word, we internalize the Word of God. We call that discipleship. If you're not engaged in a life group or a D group, D groups will be kicking over again uh, very shortly. Life groups have been going on. Uh, you need to get involved. Help us get you involved. Come to me, come to Andy, come to some of our other leadership. Uh, uh, Where are you, Deanne's back there in the back. I see that hand, sister. She's back there at that computer. She can point you in the way. We've got a list of life groups out in the welcome area. Please pick one up and let's get you plugged in into the word of God and discipleship. Fourth thing you can do is encourage one another. Nothing like a card in the mail. You don't have to send flowers or whatever. Just encourage one another. Give a good word of kindness. And we stir one another up to love and good works and encourage one another as the day draws near. So here are three priorities for us, okay? One, church this year, let's draw near to God in prayer with wholehearted sincerity, all right? We're gonna do that. We're gonna start next week with 40 days of prayer, but we're gonna draw near to God in prayer. And when our prayer service gets started, when it gets started, you come. Let's pray together. Second, we're going to hold on to the anchor of our hope, Christ Jesus, no matter what. It is my conviction and my promise to you that I will keep preaching Christ crucified, raised, and coming back. And if I ever deviate from that, you call me on it. Encourage me, though. (laughs) Third, we're going to devote ourselves to the corporate church. Devote yourself to the corporate church in worship, evangelism, Discipleship Serving Giving Commit yourself to the corporate church We need you, you need us We ain't perfect In fact if you think you have found the perfect church um, There's another church in town That's for you We are not the perfect church You will never hear me claim us to be the perfect church If you hear us Saying we're the perfect church Please encourage us to correct ourselves Because we are not But we are devoted to one another. We must be devoted to one another. The invitation is this this morning. We've kind of already had this in our prayer time, but I want to offer it again. Beginning day, first day of a brand new year, it's a great time to come to the altar and pray. This is what we're called to do today. I want to invite you to come down this morning if you are able and pray at the altar. If you're not able to, please pray right where you are. Andy and the team are going to come lead us in our time of response as they do faithfully every Sunday. Your prayer may be the song we're singing. Praise God, sing it out, pray it out. But if God has a burden on your heart or you hear these things, you want to commit yourself and set in place that you're going to pray, you're going to set the example, you're going to live God's word, we're going to devote yourself to the corporate church. Make that your prayer this morning. Maybe you realize, hey, I've not been holding on to the anchor as tight as I should have been. Set your heart to hold on to the anchor of hope, Christ Jesus reaffirm that this year 2023 how can you devote yourself more to the corporate church there's always a way and if you're here you've not ever given your life to Christ Jesus you've been hearing me talk about this anchor of hope this Christ and who is your access to God and your advocate before the father but you don't trust in that and today is a day of salvation for you you can trust in him this morning I'll be here to pray with you through that. We'll have some deacons here to pray with you as well. If we can, we'd be happy to pray with you and pray for you. Let's stand to our feet and let's go before the Father as our praise team comes.